So hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Ticket Killer to Brunch. I am one of your co-hosts, Darcy. And I am the other co-host, Shannon. And welcome back. Um, if you're new here, we are super happy to have you. And if you're returning, this was the intro I forgot in the last episode. That's fine. Um, if you're returning, we're happy to have you back. Um, let us know where you're listening from. We would love to know where you're listening from um, in the comments. So hello, everybody. And we're going to jump into part two of the Jeffrey Dahmer episode. So as I said at the end of the last episode, uh, trigger warning, there is very gruesome details. This is a very detailed episode about his murders. Uh, there is the death of minors in this episode as well. So if basically rape and sexual assaults of people in general and also minors is very triggering for you, maybe this isn't the episode for you. There are timestamps if you're listening on YouTube. Uh, you can skip to the end because where he gets captured and you can kind of miss all of the very the deep details in the middle. So without further ado, we're going to jump right into this. So where we left off, um, Jeffrey had just um, oh, gotten a note at the library. He had just gotten a note from a stranger at the library that triggered him um, and re-brought all of these memories and feelings and remembering that he is gay um and it scared the shit out of him right he's now freaked out he had for the last nine years been living a quiet life um living with his grandmother going to church he had a job he stopped drinking he was on the up and up and god damn it his sexual urges came a knocking and he's going to spiral out of control once again so we're going to fast forward to november 21st of 1987 where he meets a man named Stephen Tuomi. Stephen Tuomi was 24 years old. Um, a lot of Jeffrey's victims that I didn't mention in the last episode, but a lot of his victims, he was either meeting at um, gay bars or he was soliciting them by either offering to pay them for nude photos. Um, he was coercing these people eventually to come back to his home with him. So there's a lot of coercion there's a lot of um that's the word bribing i don't know money for favors essentially um so stephen tuomi would be his second victim he brought him back um he got he got stephen wasted and he brought him and stephen to a hotel room um he doesn't remember this but they were both really fucked up and he's he doesn't remember how this happened he just remembers waking up and he sees Steven. What he did was he smashed in Steven's chest. Like he was beating him so hard. He smashed in Steven's chest uh, mm. to rip out his heart, which he did unsuccessfully. I don't know about you, but it takes a lot of pressure to basically concave in somebody's chest. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that instantly makes me think of like the pressure that ends up occurring with, obviously since I'm a nurse with CPR, it's pretty brutal, but you know, it is possible. You'd be surprised if you hit in the right spots. I mean, as gruesome as it sounds, I've felt bones crack underneath my hands and I'm obviously not a big person, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, it can happen. But it, it, I don't think he, they, there would have been no way he could have met his goal of like ripping his heart out. That's, that's rough. 
Yeah. I mean, to this day, like in all of his interviews and when he's questioned about what happened to Steven, he's like, I don't remember. He says he just like blacked out. And when he woke up, Steven was dead. Um, he does become notorious in the Milwaukee gay scene um, as, as someone you don't want to interact with, because like I said, he started to pick up a lot of people from gay bars and a lot of these men that he would have relations with that didn't die. Uh, they all were like, he drugged me, he drugged me, he drugged me. So you're going to see this pattern. He gets a reputation. Um, and we also have to remember the time period that all this is happening in. Like Milwaukee's gay scene is popping. There's a popping gay scene in Milwaukee, but the police and society are like, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Like it's taboo to talk about. We don't want to talk about it. We're just going to let them do whatever they want to do, but we're not going to associate with it, which also had a, a huge impact on how he was able to pro, like do this for so long in this, in a very small area and like never be fully arrested, like actually charged with his crimes or be discovered really. Um, because people just didn't want to associate with that group of people. So they excluded a community and that community suffered dearly for it. So just keep that in mind as well. So Stephen Tuomi is dead. He's like, what the fuck? He did this in a hotel room. So what does he do? He stuffs his body into a trunk. I don't know why there was a trunk in this hotel room, but he somehow had a trunk. He stuffs his body into this trunk, which makes you kind of wonder, was this premeditated? Because why else would you pick up a dude at a gay bar, bring him to a hotel and have a trunk with you? I don't get it. But he stuffs his body into this trunk and he calls a taxi because Uber didn't exist. And he calls this taxi to take him back home to his grandmother's house. And when he gets the taxi, he, he, the taxi made this joke. He's helping, he's like putting this trunk into his trunk of his car. And he makes a joke. He's like, wow, this is really heavy. What do you got in there? A dead body. And he told him yes. And he thought it was a joke. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's just dry humor. It's fine. Exactly. And I'm like, can you imagine being that taxi driver, like when his crimes come out later in life and he's like, oh my God, that was a dead body. <laughs> like, I'm never making that comment again. <laughs> if anyone says yes to that joke again, I'm going to phone it in. <laughs> yeah. So he gets back to his grandmother's house. He puts the trunk um, in the cellar. And she had a fruit cellar, and that's where he did a lot of his work. Now, obviously, his grandmother didn't know about all of these doings that he was doing or his promiscuity and where he was going. He puts the body in the cellar, and the next day, he dismembers his body. He disposes of his body, um, and he put it into the trash bag. He put his body into trash bags um, and leaves it outside for garbage pickup. Well. I guess it's, it's yeah. you know, out of convenience. <laughs> yeah. I was like, imagine if that bag had ripped. Oh. You know? So, magically, it just goes to the dump. Um, fast forwarding to the following year, uh, January 16th of 1988, Jeffrey's third victim, James or Jamie, uh, a doxtator, doxtator. Uh, he is 14 years old. He gets him back to his grandmother's house. He drugs him. 
He strangles him to death. And then he stashes his body in the fruit cellar for a week. So he keeps his body in there for a whole week before his grandmother tells him that there's a smell. Um, and to like, there's the smell, it won't go away. Jeffrey's not doing anything about it. So she tells her son, who is Jeff's dad. So she tells Lionel that there's a smell um, and she wants him to come inspect it because nothing is helping. So his dad comes to inspect the smell in the, in the fruit cellar. Um, and he finds all of these jars filled with like this blackish brown gunk. Um, and he tells him, you know, it's just my experiments. It's like, it's all this stuff. And he's like, listen, you're going to have to get rid of this. He's like, your grandma doesn't like the smell. She can't take it. I highly suggest you get rid of these, you know, dead animal filled jars. Right. Um, after his father leaves and his grandmother left, he smashed the bones and dissolved the skin in acid. So he finally finishes disposing of Jamie's body. March 24th of that same year, he meets Richard Guerrero, who is 23 years old. Um, he offered him $50 to take photos of him. So now we're seeing his tactics kind of escalate and evolve. He gets him back to the house. He drugs him. He strangles him. And he leaves his body in his bed. So he's in his bedroom with Richard. And he leaves his body in his bed. Later on the following day, after his grandma leaves the house, he dismembers and disposes of his body in the garage, but he kept his skull. So now this is the second time we've seen him like keep a trophy. I mean, the first one was <clears throat> Steven's skin in the last episode in all space. Now we have him keeping a skull um, after he dismembered this man's body. So the following year, so one whole year later, on March 25th of 1989, he meets Anthony Lee Sears, who's 26 years old. So he brings him back to the place. He strangles him and again, dismembers his body. So we're seeing this repetition pattern. Coerces, strangles, kills, dismembers. Um, now we're starting to see more trophies starting to be collected. Um, they cut off, he cuts off the head and genitals of Anthony. Uh, he also keeps his skull and he paints it red and he keeps that skull and the skull of Richard in a box, in a wooden box. So we're starting to see more evolution here and now we're like decorating um, some more escalation of his MO. Uh, Dahmer eventually gets arrested and he's sentenced to 12 months in jail um, and he's on and five years of probation for sexually assaulting um, Kaisen, I think it's Kaisen, um, or Kison, uh, Synthens and Foam. We talked about him last episode. He was 13 years old. Um, he escapes. He goes home. His parents press charges. So he's sentenced to 12 months and five years of probation for sexually assaulting him. But as we learned last episode, he only serves... He only serves uh, one week. So obviously his parents weren't happy about that, um, but they decided they're going to try to move on with their life and just push past this. Um, he is allowed work release, so he doesn't lose his job. Um, but at this point, he moves out of his grandmother's house and into his infamous 
213 apartment on North 25th Street. Um, and I believe it was one day after moving that he actually kills again. So he's sentenced to 12 months in jail. He only serves a week. He's let out on work release. And immediately once he's let out, he moves out of his grandmother's house and he starts to kill again. He moves out of his grandmother's house because things are getting a little tense. I mean, by this point, he's already killed four people in her home. She has no idea. Well, she's, he's killed three people in her home. He killed one person in a hotel room. So she has no idea that he's killed three people in her home. Um, they're having push and pulls back and forth. One thing that she noticed that really upset her was she was cleaning his room one day and she noticed uh, something in his bed and she was like, what is this? And she pulls back the cover and it's a mannequin. Um, he had stolen a mannequin from a department store. Uh, he hid in the department store after they closed. He steals the mannequin and he was using that mannequin to placate his desires. And I believe this was during that nine year period um, that he was doing so good. And she finds it. She makes him like she throws it away. And so when he comes home, he like freaks out. He has kind of like a meltdown, um, which didn't help his then later finding the note or getting the note from the person at the library and ultimately just dialing back. Yeah. I mean, I, that was something I remember from that like Netflix series too. So it's, it's, it's interesting to find that that was truly accurate. Mm-hmm. That was, um, I mean, cause he does talk about this mannequin and he mentions that like, as he's murdering these men, he wants them to stay with him. He wants them to never leave him, but he also kind of like, just doesn't want them to like have an opinion. <laughs> um, to have their own thoughts, you know? He, he, yeah. He wants them to just like be quiet, be still, just be, be there, but not be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so he's, he's in this weird tug of war. Like he wants a partner. He wants someone to be there and to love him and to never leave him, but he doesn't actually want it to be like a mutually exclusive relationship. He's like, I want you to be here, but I only want you to exist when I need you to exist and how I want you to exist. I don't care about your thoughts and opinions, anything like that. So he basically like wants it all. Like he wants like a living, breathing doll that can just stay there or a zombie, which we'll get to. So, um, May 20th of 1990, um, his sixth victim, Raymond Lamont Smith, is 33 years old, brings him to his apartment, he drugs him, he strangles him, and then he has oral sex with his body. Um, he removes his head and paints the skull gray. He is then put into a barrel of acid, um, in the apartment until the flesh is dissolved. And then he hung the bones around the apartment as decoration. Mm. Mm -hmm. Was it Halloween time? No, it's just so kitschy, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, maybe you can pass it off if it's like Halloween, you know, maybe I'll do that to my place, you know, hang some bones around, like it's Dahmer themed. Okay. Yeah, it's May. It was May twentieth when this happened, so it was like the middle of the year. I mean, here I am. I mean, I do have like a little bone thing in the background. So, <laughs> I'm in. 
Um, so less than a month later, on June 14th, he meets Edward Smith, who's 27 years old, and his seventh victim. He drugs him and dismembers him and disposes of him as well. Um, and then there's Ernest Miller. I don't have a date for Ernest, but I would assume it's between June 14th and September 21st that he runs into Ernest Miller, who is 22 years old. He offers Ernest $50 for nude photos, gets him back to his apartment. He drugs him. He then slits his throat, which I thought was an interesting change for him. So he slits his throat. Um, he kept his bones after he disposes or melts the skin off. Um, and then he kept a piece of his bicep and tried to eat it. So now we're seeing the evolution to cannibalism. So he tries a piece of bicep from Ernest. Um, on September 24th, of 1990, he meets David Thomas, who is his ninth victim. David Thomas is 23 years old and same MO. He drugs him and then he dissolves and dismembers his body in acid. Um, the following year, February 18th of 1991, he meets Curtis Strotter, who is 19 years old. He drugs him, strangles him, dissolves his body in acid and kept his skull as well. And then on April 7th of 1991, he meets Errol Lindsay, who is 19 years old. He offers Errol, or Errol $50 for nude photos. He gets him back to the apartment. He strangles him. He has oral sex with his corpse. Um, and then he dissolves and dismembers his body, as well as keeping his skull as well. Um, May 12th, or sorry, May 24th of 1991, this is his 12th victim, which is Anthony Hughes at the age of 31. If you're noticing, he's on a spiral now. Like, he's not waiting a year apart. He's like, every month, there's someone new, right? So, he meets Anthony Hughes, who's 31. Um, Anthony Hughes is deaf and mute, and I don't know if that name rings any bells to you or his situation rings any bells to you, but they really bring up they really create a whole character for anthony in the show um anthony is portrayed as a love interest with Dahmer in the show you remember that i think so yeah i mean and it makes sense though because like we were talking about it's like he wanted just a doll basically so the fact that he was mute and didn't really talk or anything like that that would have been like literally ideal like you couldn't get more ideal for Dahmer. And I think what they did, because that's one of the biggest false things of the show. Dahmer didn't actually have a relationship with Anthony. Like, that that's totally fake um, for story plot. And I think it was easy to choose Anthony's character um, because of who Anthony was and because of his disabilities. Um, it's easy to develop that character into, like, oh, it makes sense how he could connect with someone else who's different or um it's also easy to kind of like fool him and things like that so that whole thing was interesting to me that they went like a romantic route it almost they almost painted it as like you develop you almost develop pity for Dahmer a little bit during this whole time uh, in the show because like he's trying and it's like that actually never happened so that was really interesting to me yeah. that they went that route yeah but I mean like had I feel like, you know, if Dahmer would have, like, realized that, like, that could have been, like I said, like, the ideal situation for him, you know, had it been accurate. Yeah, maybe. But to burst anybody's bubble, he actually never had a real relationship with, like, any of these people. So he meets Anthony Hughes. 
He's 31. He offers him $50 for a new photo, same MO as before. He drugs him and he strangles him to death. But this time he let the body stay in his apartment for a few days before he actually disposed of it. So he like had Anthony's body like on the bed, left him on the couch. Like he just kind of let it rot in the apartment a little bit before he finally um, disposed of it. Hmm. So yeah. before we get into the next one, like the only thing I want to bring up is a question that I have right now. Cause I don't, I remember obviously the series, but not a whole, whole lot and different documentaries mm-hmm. and stuff at this point, because that is such a large amount of men going missing. Is there kind of like an investigation regarding like a serial killer in that area occurring? No, That's no. Wild. So what's happening in, Yeah, what's happening at this time in Milwaukee is the gay community is they're kind they're freaked out because people they know are going missing left and right. Um, And Dahmer has this reputation of being like he's a serial like rapist and sexual assault says like if you go home with him or like don't let him make you any drinks or don't let him near your drink because he'll drug you and he'll like have his way with you and like people's families are reporting their people going missing, like their family members, their loved ones going missing, their friends are reporting it, but the police are just like not putting the dots together. And they're also not taking it very seriously because like I said, they don't really care for this community. It's this, they treat them basically the same way they treat prostitute cases. No one cares. It's really sad. Um, And it's about to get really sad. (laughs) We actually about to get really, really dark. So, his 13th victim on May 27th of 1991 is Konarak which is the brother that we had heard about before. So this is unfortunately the brother that would not um, escape Jeffrey. He was only 14 years old. Um, he was the younger brother of Kaisen Synthensenfone, and um, that was the one that Jeffrey was charged with sexually assaulting. So he meets Konarak. He brings him back to his apartment. He bribes him with photos. He drugs him. And this is where he totally changes. He wanted he wanted somebody to stay with him forever. And now he's going to decide to experiment. So he drugs Konarak, but he keeps him alive. He ties him to a chair. And he takes a power drill. And he drills a hole through his skull of his frontal lobe. And he fills that hole with acid. Just to, because he just wanted them to, he basically wanted to lobotomize them, is what he wanted to do. Um, So he leaves. He puts some acid into his head. He leaves him there on the chair and he goes to get a beer. He leaves to get a beer and magically Konarak comes to enough that he escapes from Dahmer's apartment. He's obviously not walking well, he's like stumbling around. These three women, stop to help him they're really worried for him like oh my god like this child like we need to call the police we need to get him some help so as one of the women starts to help him jeffrey shows up jeffrey's coming home from getting a beer he's like fuck he's trying to convince these women that they're lovers that's his boyfriend they're like this is not your boyfriend he's a child he's like no because he's asian he just looks young Conorak, his family is 
I believe they're Vietnamese. I'm sorry if I get that wrong, but I believe his family's Vietnamese, which also doesn't help that they all, by the way, don't live in the best neighborhood. Like this neighborhood that Dahmer lives in isn't like the best neighborhood. So not only is Dahmer in a community of people that the community around them doesn't care for, he's also in a neighborhood that's predominantly lower class, um, more predominantly black or lower income families or immigrants that don't speak really great English that again, the generally white neighborhoods and generally affluent white people don't care for. Um, and it's just all perfect for Dahmer in his situation. Um, and we'll talk more about his victim selection because it actually is a, not a point of controversy, but it is a point of talking in terms of how he chose his victims. Um, so these women are not having it. And I was like, good for you. They're like, absolutely not. I'm getting the cops down here. By the way, everyone, like the first question is like, does no one see the hole in his skull? Like, no, actually they didn't. Like where he drilled the hole in his head, his hair was so thick that no one could actually see the blood. It was like thick black hair. No one could actually see the blood coming out of his head. Like it was a drill hole. So it wasn't like a huge hole. So actually no one saw it. He's not really coherent. He's really like hidden out of consciousness, can't really talk a whole lot. Um, so these women are trying to get the cops to like understand that this is a child. This is not a man. Um, they don't think that him and Jeffrey are together. The cops are like really uncomfortable. Oh no. And um, he tells the cops like, yo, that's my boyfriend. You know, he's just really drunk. Like this happens all the time. And they're like, Ugh. We'll, we'll go. So they decide to ignore the women. Um, and he follows him back to the apartment, the cops. Um, what does it, what happens? These women are screaming at the cops at this point and someone talks about it. And I think one of the cops actually turns back and screams at the, like one of the women, they need to like shut the fuck up or something like that. And so they take Konarak, they go with, like with Dahmer back to his apartment. And he's like, we you know we need proof that he's not a minor and since he doesn't have an id because he's 14 he shows them a nude photo of conrad that he took when he bribed him back at his apartment and they find that is good enough proof that they are legitimately in a homosexual relationship that that is his boyfriend like that's the proof a, a naked photo of, of him is enough to convince these cops because they're uncomfortable they're uncomfortable um by the way because the cops thoroughly searched his apartment, right? You know, they walk around. Uh, they didn't bother to notice that there was a dead body in Dahmer's bed. There's just like a dead person in his bed. Because at this point, he has bodies like everywhere. He has body parts everywhere. Like he's killing people so, so fast that they're How, piling like, up faster than they're decomposing. You would so there's just a dead body in the bed. And they don't even notice it. Yeah, they get a lot of flack for that case. Especially from his family. <laughs> so... They leave him with Dahmer. They just leave Konarak. Um, one thing I will say is when the cops were taking him back to Dahmer's house, the only word that he could coherently come out of his mouth yeah. taking him back was no. That's all he could cut out. And he couldn't talk anymore. That was, that was enough. So the police leave. And within an hour of the police leaving. So I have to ask, so it, he didn't just die. So like 
Jeffrey Dahmer actually like went forward with doing additional things like what the strangulation I'm assuming or something like that. Yeah. I don't have it on how he actually okay. killed him, killed him. I don't know if he poured more acid into his skull, um, but he, yeah. he did go ahead and kill him. He didn't just let him continue to sit there. He just, he went ahead and killed him because he was mad because he left. Shocker. So on June 30th of 1991, he meets Matt Turner, who's 20 years old. Um, he is drugged, he is strangled, and he's dismembered, but left rotting around the apartment. Like I said, bodies are piling up faster than they're decomposing in the acid, so they're just chilling. I do know at one point he had three bodies, or at least like three torsos, stacked on top of each other in his bathtub. Um, so he wasn't showering or anything either. Uh, so it was getting real, real stanky up in his apartment. Um, and one of his neighbors, who in the series, I think her name was Brenda. She was, he, she's like the most famous neighbor to Jeffrey. Like she's had encounters with Jeffrey. She's had conversations with Jeffrey. She's complained to him about his stinky apartment. She's complained to the landlord about his stinky apartment. The landlord, every time they went to investigate, he was like, oh, my tropical fish died and it was rotting in the tank or my freezer went bad. And so all the meat rotted, giving them excuse after excuse. Um, and... In the show, they really, like, they involve Brenda's character a lot more than she was actually ever really involved. Like, in the show, she's the one that interacts with Konarak. She actually never interacted with him. It was three random women. Um, they tie a bunch of things together, like Jeffrey tormenting her, bringing her some sandwich. That never actually happened. Um, but it's, a, I mean, obviously they need a character arc. So I get why they did it and why they tied certain plot points together. Um, the biggest one being she actually never was one of the women that encountered Konarak. It was just three random women. But anyway. So he's got this stinky apartment that no one's doing anything about. And on July 7th of 1991, his 15th victim, uh, Jeremiah or Jeremy Weinberger, is 23 years old. Um, assuming he was drugged, we don't really know how he incapacitated him, but we're assuming he was drugged. Um, instead of acid this time, he drills another hole into this head. So first Konarak, now Jeremy. And instead of acid, oh. because acid didn't work last time, um, he pours like boiling hot water into his skull. Oh, from a medical standpoint, just the thoughts that go in my head in regards to what that could possibly do. And then like the repercussions of that, like boiling hot water in the skull, you know, you're opening into an open wound bacteria on top of the just you know the act of drilling into a skull the bleeding every yeah it's very twisted he lives that way for two days before succumbing to his wounds and dying um jeremy jeremy jeffrey then dismembers his body um on july 15th so about a week later um, he meets Oliver Lacey, who is 23 years old. He drugs him. He strangles him. Uh, he sodomizes his corpse. Um, he dismembers him, but he keeps his heart in the fridge. So that's the heart we find in the fridge. Um, and on July 19th of 1991, then there's Joe, Joseph Bradhoft, Joseph Bradhoft, who is 25 years old. 
Um, he's offered $50 for nude photos. He is drugged. He's strangled. He's dismembered. But he kept his head and torso in the apartment, so some of the contraband to be found. This is all leading up to July 22nd of 1991, um, when he meets, as we have talked about before, the one that would do him in, Tracy Edwards, who is 32 years old. To recap on Tracy Edwards, um, he meets him, he brings him back to the apartment, he drugs him, he handcuffs him uh, together, and he plays into placating Jeffrey to just keep himself alive um, because he starts to notice things aren't right and it smells really bad in there. And he's like, oh my God, this is not the first time you've done this. So he inevitably gets to a point where he can get himself loose enough from the handcuffs that he tries to make a run for it. Uh, Jeffrey attacks him with a knife. They get into this big fight. He knocks Jeffrey down um, and he leaves. Like he bolts. He flies out of there handcuffed and flags down a police car, begging them for help. They can't get his handcuffs off. So they convince him to go with them back to Jeffrey's apartment to get the handcuff keys. And at this point, we're all like, well, we saw what happened with Conorak. Like, what, what good is it going to do us? Like, they're just going to fuck off again. Well, luckily, that doesn't happen. Um, luckily, this time, when Jeffrey opens the door, he's calm. And they're like, this man says, like, da 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 And he's like, no, we were just, like, fooling around. And he's like, absolutely not. So he's, like, freaking out, thinking that this guy was trying to kill him. And so the police are, like, talking to Jeffrey. He's being really cooperative until one of the police officers, I think, walks past uh, a drawer or something. He's, like, looking around. He opens a drawer, and he sees these photos. And when Jeffrey sees they see the photos, he totally freaks out and he tries to like flee. He starts to fight back and they inevitably arrest him. Um, so he's arrested on July 22nd, 1991, and he gives them a full confession the very next day. So the very next day, he just fully confesses to everything that he's been doing. Um, his defense team on July 30th of 1992, so a year later, they want to go for the insanity plea. So they want... This becomes like an insanity trial, essentially. Um, ultimately, what ends up happening is a lot of victims, families come forward because he confesses to everything. All these victims, families come forward. Uh, <clears throat> his one surviving victim comes forward to take the stand, Tracy, and he's his testimony is very famous. Um, all of these victims, families, like their testimonies are crazy, like intense emotion. Conorak's family was outraged. Um, and the police department got a lot of backlash too from everybody because of the, how they neglected this community and everything like that, especially Conorak's situation. Ultimately, by the end of the trial, he would be sentenced to 936 years uh, and 16 life sentences at the age of 31. So all of this he got completed by the age of 31. One thing to keep in mind, which we touched on, is during this entire time that he's killing all these people, he's rapidly declining. Um, he's killing faster. There's bodies piling up. He had lost his job at the chocolate factory because he was, like, ditching work. He wasn't coming in. Um, he was actually on the verge of eviction when he got arrested. Like, his whole life was a downward spiral. And I think him being arrested, he was like, I'm free. Like I can, I can 
be super honest about everything that I've been doing and I don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm not saying that he had no choice and that he couldn't stop himself, but I do think that he is very much like, if he was just like left to his own devices, he was going to keep doing it because he could. Exactly. Until he got caught. Exactly. And then it's like, we see that so many times with serial killers too, that you would think like they put up more of a fight when they get caught and stuff like that. But so many times, like it's like a mental battle for them, like while they're doing all these things and that when they get caught, it's just like, I'm just going to spew everything out like that I've done. And I'm not going to deny any mm-hmm. of it because it is, like you said, it's like a release. Yep. So he's never charged with Steven's murder. Um, this is the one that he, I believe murdered in the hotel room. Even though he confessed to Stephen's murder, he there's no evidence to link him to that murder, so he's actually never charged with it. And on November 28, 1994, at the age of 34, Jeffrey Dahmer is actually murdered by another prison inmate um, with a dumbbell, which I think is dark universe humor because he killed his first victim by hitting him over the head with a dumbbell. Yeah. So he was beat to death by another inmate in 1994. Do we do we know why? Was it because of the, like who just Jeffrey Jeffrey was, or was he like trying to like hit on this other inmate too? I think it's just of who Jeffrey was. I mean, the show spins it in a way of like he's targeted. I think what it was is because this guy knew who Jeffrey was, and he wanted some kind of fame. Okay. So he killed him because he knew how famous he was. And so he gets to take credit for being the murderer of Jeffrey Dahmer is basically what it was. Gotcha. Yeah. A super valid reason (laughs) to kill somebody. I'm not saying that he didn't deserve it. I'm just saying like that was his thought process. Yeah. Ironically, we're like, and we don't know his name, so it's fine. Yeah. I didn't even bother to like name him because also it's just kind of like at that point, I'm like, he obviously had nothing to lose. Like he was going to be in jail for the rest of his life. Yeah. So Jeffrey's father, Lionel, um, is still alive. At least this was last year when I wrote these notes. So um, let me just quickly Google that. Okay, well, as far as the internet is concerned. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, yes. Uh, Lionel Dahmer is still alive. Um, At the ripe age of 86 or 87, I don't really know when his birthday is. Um, his mother, Joyce, actually died from breast cancer on November 27th of 2000 at the age of 64. Um, and that's the story of Jeffrey Dahmer. So it's a wild ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's very gory. Very gory. One of those. Mm-hmm. But interesting. And it kind of comes, you know, it, like I said, hopefully when people listen to this story, they're like, okay that makes sense or, you know, being able to put pieces together, you know, of of the whys and, you know, the upbringings and all that, because like you said, like in this, in the story and in the show, it's, you know, you see bits and pieces, but to, that's the beauty of doing research is that you find out so much. Yeah. And, um, I wanted to touch on like his victims. One thing I didn't mention is almost all of his victims were black um and some of color i think only a couple of them were white the majority if not all of them if i'm not mistaken were black so there's this huge controversy of 
you know, he was racist. He was specifically targeting um, black men in the gay community. And he was killing them basically out of a hate crime as well. Uh, Dahmer himself was like, I never, he's like, I didn't care about skin color. He's like, I chose people who I thought were beautiful. And I'm not saying I believe him. I'm saying maybe there's some truth to that, but it's like his crimes were just like so sporadic in terms of like who he picked. Um, And he was not in any kind of mental state. So it's kind of a controversial question of like, do we think he did it because he was partially racist? Maybe a little bit. I mean, thinking about how he grew up, where he grew up, like he's, he came from, you know, Midwest America in a white suburban neighborhood, like, you know, but he had his own hardships. I don't think he targeted his victims because they were specifically black and knew that they wouldn't be addressed equally as a white victim. I don't think he thought that far. I honestly don't think he cared. He says he chose them because they were beautiful. And as I said, last episode, he was building this shrine. He wanted to met remember all of his victims he wanted to like remember like revel in their beauty which is why he took these photos like it's really interesting to me how he talks about why he killed people yeah and like in my opinion too like i i would actually more believe that like he did think that they're beautiful because at the same time like you know he was like doing sexual acts with these guys so you know obviously i don't think I mean, maybe in some twisted way, if he was racist, like he would still do that. But it's like, it seems to me like I would, I would assume that he did find them more attractive or beautiful, as he says, you know, because of that simple fact alone that he was doing so many sexual acts and taking the pictures and, you know, sexualizing them. So I don't, I personally don't think he's racist. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll never know. He's dead. Um, But yeah, it's just, his whole case is just so interesting to me. Like he's the only serial killer that comes to mind um, that we know so much about that has just been so like accountable and open and honest and forthcoming about his crimes. Now I understand at some point it's like, well, how much of that is true? Blah, 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 whatever. But when you watch the interviews and all that kind of stuff, it's just so interesting to me because it's not, it gets similar to Ed Kemper, but not the same. Like if you watch them, they both are accountable for what they did. But the way they talk about it and their reasons and everything, it's just so different. So it's just interesting to me to think of someone like Ed Kemper and somebody like Jeffrey Dahmer. And it's like, you know, they both had terrible maternal figures in their lives and just the past they went down. It's just super interesting to me. So if you haven't checked out the Netflix series, definitely do it. Um, it's a fun binge. Um, I know he got a lot of controversy when it came out, but you know what? That stuff's always going to happen. People are always going to make stories and shows and movies about serial killers and people are going to have controversial ways of thinking about it. It just is what it is, but I enjoyed watching it. Um, if you get a chance to look up some of the documentaries, uh, you should watch them specifically Dahmer on Dahmer, a serial killer speaks. Um, that's a really good one. And just to, that's the one I watched, but just to like recite my sources, I went to murderpedia.com and biography.com. I watched the Dahmer on Dahmer, a serial killer speaks. I read the, my friend Dahmer book, which is a great book. 10 out of 10. Um, it's a comic book. So if you like that kind of stuff too, get it. It's a really cool book about a dude who went to high school with Jeffrey Dahmer and he put it into comic book format. It's really cool. 
Um, I listen to the Serial Killers podcast, True Crime All the Time, and Morbid podcast. And another thing I forgot to do in last episode that I'll do now. Um, if you enjoyed this video, there will be other videos that you can enjoy on our end screen. Um, click through some of those. Also check us out on Instagram at TAKT podcast. You can find us on Facebook, take a killer to brunch, as well as if you're not listening on YouTube, we're on YouTube as well for take a killer to brunch. Send us an email at TAKT podcast at gmail.com. Check out our website at takekillertobrunch.com. And with all that said, thank you guys so much for being here. Before we cheers and sign off, any final thoughts? Shannon. I just want to hear from the people. So I would love anybody's and everybody's opinions. Like even that last question, do you think he was racist or not? Just anything that you guys feel like you need to share or, you know, your thoughts, please let us know. Awesome. And I agree. Uh, with that said, we will catch you guys on the next one. Cheers. Cheers.